Chaf Mar Cheshvan, Afshinayin Vav, coming to you live from the headquarters of Ariel Tours in New York. I'm Mayor Weingarten. Welcome to the Israel Show on the Nachum Siegel Network.
Shlomo Arti. Sichat. Oh, I'm sorry. Nitzmadnu from Onata Hofaot. My name is Mayor Wagan. Welcome in, one and all. We are live, coming to you live as we do each and every Monday morning. Immediately, well, Monday immediately following JM. I mean, I always do that. I always fall for morning. It's not mornings in many places that people are listening. We're coming to you each and every Monday, immediately following JM in the AM, which happens to be 9 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. Thank God the outside news time is over. And 4 p.m. in Israel. Yes, we're back to the seven-hour difference. Thank you all for tuning in and making us a part of your day. Of course, you can listen to us whenever you want, wherever you want, on demand by downloading through the Nachum Siegel Network app, which is available for free. On For all platforms, iPhone and Android, you can download it as a uh, podcast in iTunes. Oh, there are so many ways to listen, and we thank you for doing so. You can listen on the phone if you're live and you don't have an internet line, as my email is doing, 605-562-4400, 605-562-4400. And we do encourage you to stay plugged in to everything that's going on by uh, joining our Facebook page, liking our Facebook page specifically, I should say, um, facebook.com slash the Israel show. We post links to the songs that we play during the show so you can listen to them again and again whenever you like. We post links to articles and news items that we discuss, pictures and so forth, and interesting stories that we come across during the week, which we believe you won't see in most other uh, Facebook feeds. So please do join facebook.com slash the Israel show and like the page. Um, we have two major stories that we're going to talk about today. One is the Israeli judokos, I think that's the way it's pronounced, who competed in Abu Dhabi this past weekend. Two bronze medals for Israel in judo. Israel's always been great at judo, I think, I believe, yes, it was. The first medal that Israel ever won at an Olympics was in judo. Now I'm blanking on her name, I think it was Arad, but I can't remember her first name. And um, we've won subsequent ones as well. So Israel's great at judo, we have a great judo culture in Israel. However, there was something wrong with what happened in Abu Dhabi, and we will discuss it. We'll discuss the merits of both sides of the conversation. We'll also hear from uh, hear opinions of others that have uh, weighed in on this topic. Weighed in. I don't know. Was that a pun? I'm not really sure. Anyway, we'll do all of that. Oh, and we have... You know how um, Hillary Clinton had her own server, which is amazing in and of itself? It was in a closet somewhere in Colorado. Some company was taking care. This is a top secret, top secret diplomatic emails that that she decided are okay to keep on a private server. It, it, it's it's beyond comprehension. But of course, we live in a world where the media is so in the tank for the leftists, for the Democratic Party, that she will get away with it. And uh, although I am not personally, I, I'm very concerned about it. I, I'm ready to predict that she will be elected next president of the United States, and she will do so because the media will ignore anything bad that there is to say about her. When push comes, that means they've been reporting it now. Yes, they have. 
But as we get close to the elections, they'll stop. Trust me. Or they'll make it a marginal issue, as they've been doing now, after the emails and Bernie Sanders has helped her. Yes, yes, yes. Anyway, we'll discuss two emails that were released. Because she uh, had her private server, the FBI is um, investigating that. The um, judge has ruled that she's got to release a lot of her emails. It's a long story, but anyway, she's been releasing every... I think it's once a month they release hundreds and hundreds of emails. They do so, of course, on Friday, because that's a day when the media is uh, sort of going into weekend mode, so that it shouldn't make a lot of news. Two emails that we were able to find in this last bunch are very interesting regarding Israel and the attitude of the Obama administration toward Israel, and we're going to discuss that. Two big issues to talk about. And we'll do so after the next song. It's a relatively new song came out uh, recently. Aaron Razel, off of his album Ha'ish B'Ktzeh Ra, wrote really a beautiful tribute to Shlomo Kalbach. And he put it out, it, it, it's like a letter. It's like he's conversing with Rib Shlomo. It's, like, it's called Sichat uh, Laila, a, a night talk, a conversation during the night. He's having this conversation with Rib Shlomo Kalbach, whose 20th yard site was last week. There's two versions of it. There's the English version, and there's a Hebrew version, just translation of the Hebrew. The English is the translation of the Hebrew version. We're going to play the Hebrew version, because this is the Israel show. And uh, I heard it for the first time last night, and I really enjoyed it, and I hope you will enjoy it as well. We have a few other music debuts for you today. We have... Um, Brand new from Yishai Rebo, who I think you're all familiar with already, came out with the song Miksha Chatzahav, and got Elbaz singing a Yishai Rebo composition called Minametsa. We'll bring all that to you during the show, and we'll discuss the two subjects that uh, we mentioned. We'll do all of that coming up after Aaron Razel and Sichat Laila. My name is Mayor Weingarten, you're tuned to the Israel Show on the Nachum Siegel Network. Shlomo, עכשיו לילה בירושלים, מישב בביתי בנחלות וכתב לך. אב שלמה, לא נחת לרגע. בשעה כזו היית חוזר מאיזה הופעה עם כמה חבר'ה, ממשיך איתם למלון ולומד עד השעות הקטנות של הלילה. אחרי שהם עוזבים, אתה ניגש לטלפון. תתקשר לכמה מהחבר'ה שלך מסביב לעולם שצריכים מילת עידוד או נחמה. זה אתה חזרתי משבע ברכות לזוג צעיר. שרנו שם כל הערב שירים שלך. אתה בטח יודע, כל העולם שר היום שירים שלך. היו שם איזה מאה ישיבה בוחרס. גוואלד, איך ששרו שפחי כמיים. שפחי כמיים הסוד שלך רב שלמה, כולם היו מנסים להבין, לחקות אותך, ללמוד אותך, לפצח את כל החידות, עושים עליך סרטים, ספרים, פסטיבלים, סיפרו לי שמעלים מחזה עליך בברודווי, ואני רואה אותך לנגד עיניי, הולך בלילה בשדרות ברודווי, 
חלק את הכסף שהרווחת בהופעה להומלסים של הרובע אפר ווסט במנהטן. מווסט הנצחי שלך, והכיפה הזאת, שנראית כאילו קנית אותה בחנות מזכרות לתיירים ברחוב בן יהודה. כאילו לא במקרה, היית תייר, תרת אחרי נשמות אבודות, נשמות שבורות. השירים שלך כל כך שמימיים, כי לא החשבת את עצמך למלחין חשוב, לא רדפת אחרי לעיתים כמו רבים, היית צינור, מחובר ישירות להיכל הנגינה המוסתורי, רצית לפתוח את הלב של העולם, להשיב יהודים הביתה, להשיב לבנים על אבותם, להרבות שלום בעולם. באמצע קבלת שבת בכותל, אנחנו מקבצים, היינו איש מסתכל עלינו מן הצד, במין מתח כזה, בלי כיפה, אולי בכלל היה איזה תייר, שהגיע פעם ראשונה לתפילה. אני מודה, הבטתי בו קצת מתנשא, מראה לו את השמחה שלנו. בסוף קבלת שבת, רב דוד חיפש חזן לערבית, הסתובב על האיש הזה ואמר לו, היי בראדר, וואלה דאבן? אחי, רוצה להיות החזן שלנו? וואו, היה לי ברור שרק תלמיד שלך יכול לומר דבר כזה. אתה תמיד הרי נתת כל כך הרבה כבוד לכולם. תמיד נגעת מעבר. רצית לקחת את כולנו מעבר לעולם הזה. רב שלמה, היום אתה שם למעלה, אבל עדיין מגלים שירים חדשים שלך. ניגונים שהסתתרו. אז כמו שאתה עדיין כותב שירים שם למעלה, דע לך, עדיין צריכים אותך פה, שתלמד אותנו, תיקח אותנו מעבר, לראות מעבר, לרצות מעבר, לאהוב מעבר. באהבה, אהרון. אהרון רזל, אופיס אלבום, האיש בקצה המנהרה, אטריביטור אבשלמה קרבך, שיחת לילה, זה קורא לזה ביוטיפול, I'll read to you the English version. He says, Rabbi Shlomo, today you're up there in heaven. And we're still finding new songs you wrote. So the same way you're writing new songs up there, you should know we still need you down here to teach us and take us beyond, to see beyond, to give beyond, to love beyond. Very beautiful. Aaron Razel. And that's off his album, latest album, Ha'ish B'Kitzeh. My name is Mayor Weingart, and you're tuned to the Israel Show on the Nachum Siegel Network. Hope you are having a wonderful day, and we thank you so much for joining us. So, this past weekend was the um, Judo Grand Slam Tournament, in which um, the best judokos, I think it is called, compete. from all over the world and it's important 
I'm not a big sports person, you know that, but here sports and politics and Israel are inter intertwined, intermixed, intermingled, and so we need to look at this. And as I say, I'm not big on sports. I'm not I'm not a big maven, but from what I understand the fact that you compete in a certain tournament and, and score and so forth helps you get toward the uh, Olympics. And of course, every athlete's dream is to be in the Olympics. We don't have to, we, we don't have to explain that. Even I understand that. For years, Israeli athletes were not given visas to compete in most Arab countries. And if they weren't in an Arab country, let's say there was a match between Israel and Iran in judo, Iranians just defaulted. They just didn't show up. They they wouldn't recognize Israel as an entity even to uh, take part in, in athletics. And so, by the way, if they tell you it's just sports and sports is about love and peace and mankind and so forth and it's above politics it's a lot of baloney and we know that it's a lot of baloney all the the, the dictatorships in the communist countries like Russia and China use the Olympics and other great sports events as a platform to impress the world to show the world their other side to try and whitewash everything that's going on behind the facade that the beauty of the sports creates and hey how many of us remember not personally but remember the history of Hitler's Olympics in Munich when the Nazi regime used the Olympics again to cleanse themselves to create the the, the picture around the world of Nazi Germany being this wonderful place and welcoming and so forth. Well, in so many cases, Israel was just not allowed to participate in these events that took place in Arab countries. Israeli athletes weren't given visas. And lo and behold, this past weekend, the Judo Grand Slam takes place in Abu Dhabi, an Arab country. They got visas. Oh my gosh, the Israeli athletes got visas. But there was a condition attached to it. Whether this condition was known to the Israeli Federation or not is still unclear to me. It seems it was, but it's unclear. Either way, the condition was that the athletes would not compete as Israelis. They wouldn't be identified as Israelis. There wouldn't be any Israeli flag on their uniform, as usually is. The name of the country on the back of the shirt, of the uh, uniform, the judo uniform, I forgot what it's called, will not say ISR Israel. And if they won, there wouldn't be any national anthem of Israel and flag raising and so forth. So, who did they compete as, the Israeli athletes? Well, they competed as, and on their shirts, it was listed as, IJF, 
the International Judo Federation. They were representing no country. As, as I mentioned on the Facebook page, they were stateless. Jews were yet again stateless. And when they were introduced by the announcer, yeah, then Jerby, for example, who is well-known Israeli female judo champion, who went on to win a bronze medal at this event. She was not introduced as Yarden Jerby of Israel. Every other athlete was introduced as this athlete from Germany and this athlete from the Netherlands and this. And Yarden Jerby was introduced as representing the IJF. Here, I'll play it for you. I don't know if you can, you'll be able to make it out, but basically the announcer is saying that for this uh, bronze medal um, meet, representing the Netherlands is such and such, and Yarden Jerby representing the IJF. Listen, listen carefully. Right, the next uh, bronze medal contest that we're going to see features Jewel Franson of the Netherlands. She's up against Yarden Jerby representing the IJF. It's Franson in the white, Jadogi Jerby in blue. Jerby is in blue. I don't know if that had anything to do with anything. But, yeah, that's the way they were introduced. And in fact... Yarden Jerby uh, went on to win the bronze medal. After the competition, only when they left the arena, in the hallway, did they take pictures where they were holding a small Israeli flag to identify themselves as Israelis, and they took pictures and, of course, posted it on Facebook. So, when I saw that, my first instinct, and and I can say that I spoke to other people who are more into sports, their first instinct as well was to say, that's an embarrassment. Why did we agree to that? Uh, it, to me, it seems like we lack the honor, the national pride to say, oh no, 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 no. If there, every other country in the world can compete, if Iran I don't know if they had a representative, but they could theoretically can compete. If Russia can compete, if every every barbaric dictatorship in the world can compete under their name, under their flag, then Israel should be able to compete as well. I'm not comparing Israel to these other countries, don't get me wrong. I'm saying that these other countries are far, 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 far on the edge of humanity. Israel, which is a democracy, which we know is guilty of of nothing but just trying to survive, has to be able to compete under its own flag and under its own name. That was my gut instinct. And I was thinking to talk about that today. And then I read the statement that Yarden Jerby released. Then after I posted on the Facebook, I got, and I I knew I would, I got a... um, a message from a dear friend and a listener, Uri Lahav, who himself is, I believe, a black belt in judo. I, I, I know he's a black belt in judo. He may be more than that, higher level. I, I don't know. I apologize, Uri, if I've misstated it. And, um, yeah, I will we'll share it. And then I, I asked a few friends who are more into sports than I, or than me, I should say, what they thought. 
And the friends that I spoke to, their initial reaction was the same. And then they said, wait, 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 you know, not so clear on that because here's the dilemma. On one hand, national pride, the greater good. On the other hand, the athletes, these athletes, world-class athletes, have devoted their lives up until this point for this sport and to represent Israel around the world, which they usually do. And they do so very well. And the enormous sacrifices that they've made, the determination that they have, is amazing. It's beyond amazing. So, to sort of punish them because of bad behavior of someone else, is that fair? And the other side would say, well, the greater good has to take precedence over an individual. Um, and I, honestly, I'm, I'm a little torn. I wonder what you think. You can comment on our Facebook page, facebook.com slash The Israel Show. Yel Jerby writes, we've tried for six years to compete in the Grand Slam of Abu Dhabi. And every year there was another, another reason why we could not compete. And she says, a few days ago when we took off, we got visas. I was so excited that finally, finally we were able to compete. But when we arrived, it turns out that we were only able to compete under the International Judo Federation flag. They claim, by the way, in Abu Dhabi, that the reason that they're doing this is for security. Right. She says that we only received this notification when we arrived to Abu Dhabi, and the uh, Israel Judo Federation had to take a decision, and they took a decision, and she says it was a bold one, with all the difficulties that they should continue and compete without the mention of Israel. She says when she got on the mat to compete, she, she felt the fire inside of her. She was so angry. And when she won the bronze medal, she she broke out in tears. Because she said it was so difficult for her that she had no flag and no state. But she says, today more than ever, it was important to compete, to win, to prove to everyone that the fact that we even participated is a big victory with the understanding in my mind that she's saying we have to do it in small steps. Those who say it's an embarrassment, you should be embarrassed. I'm representing my country, she says, always, whether they hide my flag or not. So that's her point of view, and I'm going to read to you uh, Uri Lahav's point of view. He writes, I think we're doing the right thing by competing. We always attend tournaments where other unfriendly competitors appear and walk onto the mat despite the occasional Iranian or Algerian who refuse to compete against us. It's showing that we're above politics and all about sportsmanship. Furthermore, for us to make it to the highest level, including the Olympics, and all, that's probably the worst thing we could do from the bad guy's perspective. So, keep fighting and all, but there must be pressure by other governing sports bodies, like the International Olympic Committee and such, against countries who ban other athletes or nations. 
Abu Dhabi is obviously all about the money and the prestige, but this has to cease. And that's another aspect of this. Where is the outrage from the rest of the world? Nobody protests. Everybody just shows up and competes as if nothing happened and are just okay with the fact that there is no Israel, that the Israeli representatives are stateless in a way, homeless. It's it's a uh, it's a tough call. I, I well for sure I, I see Uri's response and Yerdan Jerby's her own response. The response of those who compete or those who are athletes involved in this clearly is we need to compete, and um, I understand their viewpoint. I, I don't know. I really don't know where I stand on this. So I leave it up to you. You can. Uh, you know, if we get some during the week, we'll uh, we'll post some of the um, reactions from our listeners. You're more than welcome to uh, share with us. If you want to email me, it's mayor, M-E-I-R, at nachumsegel.com. Mayor, M-E-I-R, at nachum, N-A-C-H-U-M, Siegel, S-E-G-A-L, dot com. And uh, let's hope that we don't have these kind of situations. But bravo, bravo, bravo to two Israeli athletes. The second one's name I, I don't have in front of me at this moment. Yael Jerby was the first. The second is uh, Sagi Muki. I'm sorry, that's his name. And they both won bronze medal Sagi in the men's under 673 kilo category. And Yerden Jerby, the bronze under in the women under 63 kilo weight class in judo. And... Um, yeah, if you think that sports are uh, above politics, no, no, you got it all wrong. God Elbaz released a new single. It was written, words and melody, by the great Yishai Rebo. It's called Min HaMetzar. We pray out to God from the dire straits. He's, he's such an amazing poet, Yishai Rebo. Min Kai Karate I cry out to you, God, from the dire straits. Hagesher Odenu Tsar. The bridge that we always sing about, Gesher Tsar Meod, the bridge is still very narrow. How could I exist without you? Laavor Lachzot, how can I cross that bridge? I know that you're listening. It's a really beautiful, uh, Beautiful new release. We're debuting it here. Just came out last week. Minha Meitzar, written by Yishai Rebo, sung by God Elbaz, two greats of the uh, Israeli Jewish music scene. My name is Mayor Weingarten. You're tuned to the Israel Show on the Nachum Siegel Network. <laughs> Thank <laughs> you. 
our brand new debuting here on the Israel Show. My name is Mayor Weingarten. You're tuned to the Nachum Siegel Network. By the way, just as a uh, postscript to the previous conversation that we had about the Israeli athletes competing without Israeli flag, we posted already, and we will post later, more pictures with the um, screen captures of the broadcast in which you'll see the listings of all the athletes, each one with their... um, The one we posted has France, Germany, Netherlands, and then... IJF, the Israeli athlete with no flag, with the flag only with the logo of the International Judo Federation and the letters IJF instead of ISR. And we'll post some of those pictures later just to uh, reinforce everything we've been saying. Um, 
The Israel Show is sponsored by Nefesh Benefesh. They're touring the United States. Go onto their website to see where they will be and how you can get information from them about helping yourself make Aliyah, helping you and your family make Aliyah in the best possible way. Nefesh Benefesh's website, nbn.org.il, nbn, Nefesh Benefesh, nbn.org.il, is where so much information, they have a great website, they have tons of stuff there, great material information, questions and answers about the Aliyah process and about things in Israel once you get there. Very worthwhile for you to visit it just to, uh, just to, uh, to see what it's like, even if you're not contemplating Aliyah right now, but we all are obviously contemplating Aliyah at some point, or should be, in our lives. Even if it's only theoretical, it's something that we want to strive towards. So go ahead and visit the Nevish Benevish website. And um, if they're in your city, coming up on their American tour, if they're coming to your area, go ahead. Go to the shows. I think these shows are particularly helpful or been geared toward people that don't have a specific Aliyah plan at this particular moment, but um, want to hear more about it. We mentioned, and of course, the Israel Show is proud to be sponsored by Nefesh Benefesh. So we're talking about Hillary Clinton's emails that are being made public, slowly seeping out month by month. Hundreds of emails are being released every month. And they're all because this is all part of a um, public information request. They're all available online. I believe the site is, I'll post it later. I believe the site is uh, part of the State Department site, but um, I have here in my hand copies of that. Now, some of it was um, some of it is redacted, meaning they've cut out certain parts that they felt would be too sensitive. But listen to the part that they didn't cut out; they don't think are too sensitive. This is an email from September 30th, 2010. Hillary Clinton is Secretary of State. Barack Obama is the President of the United States, and they're sending around a memo from Martin Indyk, who used to be on our side, I must say. <laughs> wow. Martin Indyk used to be uh, Jewish, uh, a, a Jewish uh, he's now a Jewish American. Um, I think he was born in Australia, and he... Uh, Worked at APAC for a while, I believe. He was America's ambassador to Israel. But at this point, he was being sent as uh, President Obama and Hillary Clinton's envoy to, the, to Israel, to visit Israel, and to come back with a report to give ideas to the State Department and the White House about how things can be done. Give him an analysis. So he writes about his principal conclusions from a quick visit to Israel and Ramallah, over the weekend. Notice it's not Jerusalem and Ramallah. But okay, never mind. We won't quibble over that. Is that Netanyahu is in a strong position politically with an unusually stable ruling coalition. Now listen to this. At this point, Netanyahu agreed to freeze building in Yudan Shomron. 
in order to bring the Palestinians to the negotiating table. The whole way that the Obama administration dealt with the Arab-Israeli conflict is ridiculous because they basically led the Arabs to believe that they don't got to do anything because America is going to do their bidding for them. So America forced Israel to go into some sort of a, a building freeze in Yehudan Shomron, which as far as the Americans concerned should have included Yerushalayim, in order to bring the Arabs to the table. And for 10 months the Arabs didn't come to the table. And it was a 10 month freeze. So what happens? America says to Israel, well you should keep, you should, you should give us another few months. Why? This is something that was so antithetical to Netanyahu in the first place. Why should he have to give more? But listen to what Martin Indyk says. Nobody I spoke to believed that the government would have fallen if he, Netanyahu, had decided to extend the settlement freeze before its expiry as a gesture to the U.S. peacemaking efforts. Can you believe that? Israel goes out of its way, does a freeze for 10 months, which is literally against everything that this government, his government is supposed to stand for. And and Martin Indyk is, is coming back and telling the White House and the Secretary of State, the State Department, with anger at Netanyahu that, well, he really could have continued it for longer because his government wouldn't have fallen. He wasn't in real danger of losing his power. It's as if the rest of it doesn't count for anything. He then writes, this I think is crazy. Likud voters are to the left of their Knesset members when it comes to peacemaking. 70% support a two-state solution versus only 50% of their leadership. I don't know if that was correct back in 2010. It is surely not correct now. Now listen to how Martin Indyk, in this memo to um, Secretary of State, which I am sure he never thought would become public, how he describes Bibi Netanyahu and how he advises America to deal with him, how he advises Hillary Clinton to deal with him. In this context, Bibi's negotiating tactics became self-defeating believing that he, Netanyahu, is a great negotiator and that he is operating in the Middle East bazaar, he inflates his requirements well beyond anything reasonable in the belief that this is the best way to secure the highest price. The process of bringing him down to a reasonable price uses up a lot of energy, uses up a lot of goodwill, humiliates his Palestinian negotiating partner, humiliates his Palestinian negotiating partner, I love that, and raises doubt about his seriousness. It's a negotiation. The other side does the same thing. The other side says, we're not going to make, we're not going to give you peace. We're not going to recognize your existence until all the Arabs that were that were taken out or left, or fled from the 1947-48 Israeli borders until they go back to their homes in Haifa and Akonta, meaning the end of the Jewish state, obviously. So that's okay. That doesn't humiliate Israel, and that's okay. That's not too high a price to ask for. It's amazing. 
At heart he seems to lack a generosity of spirit. Really? It's a negotiations for the life of your country. And uh, to me, this is the kicker. What is to be done, he writes. I have no magic solution for what must be a deeply frustrating exercise for you. She wi- he writes to Hillary Clinton. And please forgive me if what I recommend here is just repeating what you already know. One, listen to this, put your arm around B.B., He still thinks we're out to bring him down. There is no substitute for working with him, even though he makes it such a frustrating process. It's amazing that that this current American administration doesn't see Netanyahu as standing up for his country and his values and the things, the safety of his people. They see him as a, as that is frustrating. And lacks a generosity of spirit. But the purpose of embracing him is to nudge him forward. Yeah, so basically, you know, make nicey-nicey. And that'll work. I don't know. Two, try to find a way to make him understand that his negotiating tactics are counterproductive to his own purposes. No, they're not. They only are if, if your allies don't understand you. <clears throat> the Obama administration has done a great deal lately to underscore its concern for Israel security, from the vote at the IAEA to sanctions on Iran to the letter that Obama was willing to sign that accepted BB security requirements. That should buy you credibility with him. Well, 2020 hindsight... We know that the Obama administration was secretly negotiating with Iran for a long time, never told Israel, and made this horrible deal that threatens its existence. So was Bibi paranoid? Three, as a friend, paint a realistic picture of the strategic consequences of his negotiating tactics particularly in terms of what is likely to happen to the PA leadership if he worries only about his politics and not at all about Abu Mabaz's politics. It amazes me. I want to understand when it was that the other side worried about our politics when when we were... And and by the way, if this is the administration that negotiated this mindset, negotiated the deal with Iran, it sort of makes sense why we got such an absurdly horrific deal with Iran. Number four, lastly, if all else fails, avoid recriminations in favor of a clarifying moment. You see, it's all about this language and making nicey-nicey. Here's a key, here's a key point. The world will, of course, blame Bibi. But you should avoid any kind of finger pointing in favor of a repeated commitment to a negotiated solution and a willingness to engage with both sides trying to make that happen when they're ready. The Israeli public and the American Jewish community should know how far the president was prepared to go. They should be allowed to draw their own conclusions. And what's that conclusion? Well, says Martin Indyk, the world will, of course, blame Bibi. Isn't that amazing? 
The other email that was amazing, I don't know if we're going to have time for all this, we'll try, was an email from Jake Sullivan, who was a senior advisor and held many positions of national security in the Obama administration and the State Department. An email that was dated June the 6th, 2009. Subject to settlements. Well, here's what happened. When Ariel Sharon decided to um, withdraw from Aza to retreat and to expel all the Jews and the Israeli army from Aza, it was part of a greater deal with America. What he wanted to get, at least in part, was that the United States, which at that time the administration was George W. Bush, that the United States would say, okay, that's a good thing that you're doing this, this unilateral retreat from Gaza, and and we understand certain things, and we're ready to make them public in a letter to you, letter from President Bush to Prime Minister Sharon, and one of the major points was that the United States recognizes that whatever negotiation with the Arabs based on United Nations 242338, etc., will recognize that there are new realities on the ground, meaning that Israel has built major, major cities in the area that was over the quote-unquote green line, and that America understands that Israel is not going to withdraw from those, what they call major Israeli population centers. It is unrealistic, it says in the letter, to expect that the outcome of final status negotiations will be a full and complete return to the armistice line of 1949. And all previous efforts to negotiate a two-state solution have reached the same conclusion. It is realistic to expect that any final status agreement will only be achieved on the basis of a mutually agreed, of mutually agreed changes that reflect these realities. Okay, so the United States is basically saying, we understand that Maler Dumim, that Ariel, that Gush Etzion are now major centers of Jewish population, so we are not going, we're not going to expect that Israel will withdraw from these areas, even in a final settlement. What the government of Israel took from that was that in those areas it would be okay to build as expansion for the needs of the people that live there. So that if a family now has more children and they need to add a room to their little house, that they could add the room or build another house in order to accommodate uh, children that got married and now have to move out of their parents' house. It seemed obvious to Israel that that was what it was saying. And this entire email that we're discussing from Jake Sullivan from June of June 6th, 2009. Two pages about all the different ways in which the United States can deny that this was ever said. And in fact, that was the policy. The policy of the Obama administration was, you can't build anywhere. All right, so George Bush sent you a letter. Big deal. We don't care. That's basically what it was. And <laughs> what are they saying? That nobody told us that there was such an ag- agreement. 
Because Israel said it was orally understood that way. It's, 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 I don't know. I don't know what to say anymore. Your statement that nobody in the Bush administration informed anyone in the Obama administration about this appears to be accurate. Your statement that these oral understandings are not memorialized in any way also appears to be accurate. It's amazing. She made these statements before she knew they were accurate. Hadley, Hadley is this uh, national security advisor, refused to include them even in an informal binder of agreements passed on to the transition. So what are they worth? The letters from the American presidents to the Israeli prime ministers with understandings. Not much. All right, we're going to close out with a brand new Yishai Rebo song that we uh, promised you. We're gonna, we were going to close out with something else, but we haven't had a chance to play that yet, so we're going to play it for you. It's called Miksha Achat Zahav. Maybe we'll talk about it in an upcoming week. So we're running out of time. Yishai Rebo, brand new single that was just released. Before we do that, we thank you so much for listening. Thanks for your Facebook likes, comments, emails. Thanks to the Nachum Siegel staff. And my very special thanks, as always, to Nachum Siegel. Coming up on the Nachum Siegel Network, encore performances of Eternal Flame with Rabbi Y.Y. Jacobson, followed by headlines with David Lichtenstein. And then, the great Monday music marathon mix. Until next Monday, immediately following Jamie and the AM, this is Mayor Weingarten reminding you that nice guys do not finish last. They're just running in a different race. Mi <laughs>
מבית ומחוץ, מקשה אחת זהב. 